Turn with me, if you would, into the book of Exodus, chapter 8. And I sent you the title of this message, which represents a principle that we see in ancient Israel as they dwelt from the time of Joseph until the time of Moses in one section of Egypt known as Goshen. So we're in the book of Exodus, chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse 20, where the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord. That's a key phrase in the Bible. It's not man claiming that he's got ideas about God. All throughout the scripture, we find this phrase and many like it, where the writer says, this is God speaking, not me. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants and upon thy people and into thy houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. That's a lot of flies. But notice in verse 22 and verse 23, the principle where God says, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end, thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I probably won't get to this, so I want to say it now while I'm thinking about it, is that the judgments that came upon Egypt were judgments upon their gods. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, and I will put a division between my people and thy people, and tomorrow shall this sign be And the Lord did so. There came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. I want you just to notice in verse 22 the word sever. And then at verse 23 the word division. And the title of my message is Living in Goshen. Now again, Israel had been there for a few hundred years. Up until that time, there wasn't really much difference between the city of Goshen and the rest of the country. But now God is getting prepared to let his people go. So spiritually speaking, that's where you want to be found, living in Goshen. Because on the day of deliverance, on the day of Christ, that's the only land that's going to be spared from the judgment of God. What do you think when actors start quoting scripture? And some of you will know the actor James Woods. He's a very conservative, politically conservative man who happens to be a well-known actor, very well-known actor, and very vocal about his opinions politically, as is John Voight and, well, many others. I'm just picking guys that are on the right as well as on the left. People aren't quiet. Just four days ago, it really came as a kind of a shock when I saw that James Wood had on his Twitter timeline these words. In the last days there shall come times of difficulty. It's a paraphrase from our King James Bible. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without 
self-controlled, brutal, treacherous, and then he has three dots and a quotation mark. And those of you who know your Bible know that's a direct quote, paraphrase, I mean, it's a different version, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, which I've preached on quite a bit over the years. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. So I thought to myself, what do you start to think when actors are quoting directly from the Bible? And these are my thoughts. Number one, it's a very good sign that people are now aware of the situation that we're in. It's worldwide, but I'll always stick with America. That's where I'm called to preach. It's a very good sign that now actors, and as far as I know, I've never, I've been following him for six years. I've never seen him come that far out to start quoting the Bible. But obviously, or evidently, God is reaching the hearts of even some of the most elite people that I say we admire, I'm not an admirer of some of these people, just follow them and agree with them on things. And I ask myself the question, where are we at when actors start quoting the Bible? You can't get preachers to quote those verses. That's the truth. But an actor is going to quote it. And I said to myself, it's a sign of two things. It's a good sign that God may be working in the heart of James Woods, and I don't know where he stands with the Lord. I honestly don't. But that he pins it to the top of his timeline so that anybody could see it. Now he's got the scripture verse up there. And I responded to it, of course, with the rest of the verse to him and his followers. Then I said it's also a bad sign. And I'll tell you why it's a bad sign. It's based on what I just said. We have preachers, and that's the title they use, you know, pastor, preacher, prophet. They don't even quote the Bible. Tell people what they want to hear instead of speaking the truth in love. And a preacher, as you know, and I go over this with you very frequently, a preacher's obligation is to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and base that truth on what this book says, and that's it. So what happens when actors start quoting the Bible? In my own view, and I submit it to you as my own view, we've got to be getting very close to the coming of Christ. Where do you want to be found when Christ comes? When Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? which I think is rhetorical, but it is a question that we should entertain seriously. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And what Jesus is saying there is that the times, and I'll use the word stressful, which is what the word perilous can be translated as, exceptionally stressful. Definitely the word tribulation and great tribulation can be defined as stressful, very stressful. That during these periods of great stress, in the last days particularly, we now have, as I just mentioned, this is my view, my interpretation, God showing his sovereignty that he's saying, and again, this is my view, well, if the preachers won't preach it, then I'll have this actor preach it. And there was a lot of responses to that Bible verse. I mean, good ones. James Woods. And yet you can't get some preachers there. And we've been through this many times. You can't get some preachers to say, look, at, this is what the book says. Now, that's kind of my moniker. That's really like my modus operandi, my M.O. That's what the book says. Didn't write it. I'm telling you what it says. And for 46 years now, I have just stuck with what the book says. And for some, it's an attraction, thankfully. And for some, it's a distraction. And some reject it altogether and still use the name Christian and still use the name preacher. So what happens when actors are quoting the scriptures and preachers are not? Well, it's a sign of... Good and bad. Good that they're speaking up, but bad in the sense that the people who are supposed to be doing these things, so many of them, are not doing them. 
In any case, to me, it's just one more sign. A subtle one, perhaps, but a sign that we're getting closer and closer to the coming of Christ. And let me put it to you this way, because I've read his post for six years, so I know what he believes politically. That if he's able to now start to relate the events of our times to this book, then we've got to be getting closer and closer to the coming of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it's also good news and bad news. And the book is clear about that. The Bible is clear about that. For those of us who trust in Christ and what we just shared in the communion service, that our lives are without hypocrisy, not without flaws, not without sin, but without hypocrisy, that we're not going to willfully violate God for what we know and so on. Then the news is good because God is merciful and gracious and gives us more grace and all of that. But those who have rejected Christ with the amount of grace given to them, whatever that may be, it's not good. And that's what Jesus said. Obviously, I'm giving you a paraphrase, but it's not good. Where you want to be found in this day right now is in Christ, living in Christ, not just carrying a Bible. The false teachers and the false prophets, they do that. I mean, being in this book and living in this book and to know your God. For those that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. That's what this book says. That God will keep us strong in spirit and soul, if not in body as well, until the day that he arrives for his church, for us. Further, we are not to fear, it's written in the book, we are not to fear what other people fear. It's not that it's not there, we're not acknowledging what's going on. We're simply not to be afraid of it, the way so many are. Because Jesus said that men's hearts would be failing them for fear of what's coming on the earth. That's what's happening. I see it on social media. They don't even realize, I mean, in other words, basic God-given intelligence tells you this world's in a real perilous situation. But only the grace of God that can illumine your mind says Jesus is the answer. And we have many reasons for that. Much evidence, not just a blind faith. Where you want to be found is living in Jesus. Distinct, known, as some say of me, oh, that's that pastor. They never say it to my face. But the one that did some years ago, I let him know in uncertain terms. That's right. I'm that pastor. He says to me, I heard you're a preacher. I happened to be down on the floor doing an exercise. I said, that's right. He says, you one of them fanatic preachers? I said, depends on how you define fanatic. If you define fanatic like Jim Jones, cult leaders, no, not a fanatic. But if you define complete dedication to Christ, then I'm a fanatic. You can decide whether I'm a fanatic. Then in my head, I finished the sentence by saying one way or the other, I don't care. I'm committed to Christ. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of salvation to them that believe, the Jew first, and to the Gentile also. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And you shouldn't be either. Your family members are going to say to you, I heard you're going to that church. You shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, what of it? This is not, you know, we're not in the Bible Belt. I don't know if you know that. This is not the Bible Belt. We're somewhere probably below the Belt. So the preaching of the Word of God is not as extensive here as we have it in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. So you're going to be marked. So think about it. You're going to be marked. But be marked with this distinction that you belong to Christ, that you can say, I am a Christian. I have decided, and it was only this week, that I am tired of all the titles. And I've been tired of it for quite a while. But as I read and I study and I see some of these up-and-coming young teachers and the things that they're doing and saying, 
I said, you know, I'm just tired of being identified. People ask me, well, what are you? I'm a Christian. Well, what do you believe? <laughs> Read the Bible. And you know what I believe. It's kind of vague. I understand that. But if I identify with this group, then they assume I'm with this other person here. And I'm not and all that. You want to be living in Christ. You want to be found in Christ because God protects his own. Now, don't get me wrong. If your family was in trouble and I happen to be on the scene, let's say one of your kids, I'm going to defend them. But basically, I'm not responsible for your family. Responsible for mine. If your wife was in trouble and someone was trying to do something harmful, I'm going to step in because you're not there. And maybe even if you are there, I'm going to step in because you need help. But what I'm trying to say is this. I can only be responsible for my own relationship in Christ, not all of yours. If you live properly in Christ, you don't have to pray prayers like, oh, Lord, use me, because you're swimming upstream. Everybody notices it because you're dedicated to the book. And then there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that goes with you into your workplace, your home. And the fact that there are devils that will say something similar to Jesus we know and Paul we know. And then you put your name in there if you're truly born again. They know us. And they should even further distinguish us by our love one to another. Now, let me just say something very quickly about that. A.W. Tozer gave an example of taking 100 pianos. Now, if you tune a piano to concert pitch, which in Western music is A440, and you had 100 of them all tuned to A440, the whole piano is now in tune, concert pitch. When you play all 100, they're all in tune with each other. And there's so many times that even this church here, this fellowship here is not in tune with each other. But when we're praising and worshiping and listening to the word, we are 100 pianos all tuned to A440, Jesus Christ. And our hearts will never be more unified than at this moment right now during prayer and singing and preaching and so on. We are the body of Christ. So let me say it again. Where you want to be found living right now is in Christ or to use my analogy in Goshen. Because the plagues that came upon this massive country, this huge area of land that we know and still there, Egypt, all 10 of those plagues hit the entire country except one city. Because God is not only able but willing to sever the land from the rest of the land and then put a division between his people and the people of the world. Now let's get this straight right now. It's not like the people in the world are rejected by God because he says, come unto me. God so loved the world. Come on, I'll protect you, save you. And we can go along those lines a long, long way. But the people who say no, for whatever reason they say no, they're on their own. And no one's going to blame God and say, well, you know, no, no, no. We make choices. Everything that has led up to who I am today was based somewhere at some time in my life on a choice that I made. And some choices you have to unmake. You realize you're on the wrong path. You have to have a course correction. But the choices that we made that have transformed us into who we are, by the grace of God, we're Christians, don't misunderstand me. But Jesus said to me many years ago, I mean, not in these words, but you want to follow me? I said, yeah. Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and on and on. I'm not going to turn that offer down. And then I have learned by experience what this book is saying, that God protects his own. He takes care of his own. That's why we're not to fear what other people fear. We should invite them into the family. It's called evangelism. It's not properly all that evangelism, but we'll just leave it that way. We should be inviting them to be part of 
the body of Christ and uh, invite them to come in out of the rain because it's going to rain really hard. The storms are going to come. The floods are going to come. They're coming now. We read about them every day. Yet if they say, for whatever reason, they say, no, that's their decision. My decision has been to follow Jesus in all these 46 years. Pretty soon it'll be 47. I have never, never known God to disappoint me. He surprises me every so often. He's a little bit slow. Getting around to certain things. But he's never let me down. It's my testimony. We are, if you're born again, we are living in Goshen. And if James Woods can quote the scripture, then so can you. If an actor can put on his Twitter feed that he's got over 3 million followers, a Bible verse, so can you. I mean, the man's got some guts. How much of the Holy Spirit he has or doesn't have, I don't know. But I know that you do. And that's what emboldens us. Whenever it came to witnessing, you know, for people sharing Jesus, I had the same anxieties, I said, put it that way, that you do or did. But I always would tell the Lord, Lord, this was back when I was in secular work. Well, even now, but when I was in secular work, I said, God, you know, I don't know how to talk to these people and whatever to say. I had friends that if someone asked them, hey, what time is it? It's time to be saved. And I do corny stuff like that. That's just not me. That don't work for me. And I never knew what to do. So I would pray. God, just leave me today. I'm willing to speak for you. Here's an example. When I worked as letter carrier for the post office, I had a bunch of men that were always teasing me. You know, Ray, don't do this. And Ray, don't do that. You know, hey, Ray, he's a Christian as you're doing the mail and everybody's talking back and forth. And I wanted to tell him, if you one more word, you're going to see what Ray used to be. <laughs> but I just let them go. One morning, I prayed that God would help me to witness to the whole place. This is a true story. And I was supposed to stand on top of my desk and say, it's time to get saved. No, you're not allowed to do that. But what happened was there was an upcoming meeting, and I was the speaker in that area where I was delivering mail. So as we're all putting the mail in at the end of the day for tomorrow, there was this flyer. It's about that size <laughs> with my picture on it and my testimony. So everybody's pulling it out. Hey, look who's here. <laughs> now, the whole place was talking about it. And I had a chance to share what Christ has done for me, how he delivered me. You see, we're not relying on our bravado to go out there and tell people all this stuff. We're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit who opened the doors on many occasions, for, not many occasions, on every occasion for me. And so I don't force things. I just am willing and ready. And you should be too. Living in Christ, you want to be marked as a Christian. I mean, a real Christian, not as some label, whatever label you choose. You want to be marked as someone who's truly following Jesus and let your words prove it. And of course, your behavior, because people are clever. They understand hypocrites. They understand disingenuous individuals. We all do. God has designed for us to live in Christ where we are being protected, where we are being kept. And I would say with respect to the word sever, that we can only pray that God would sever America from the judgment that's to fall upon the other nations and you could read books, and some of you have. America is definitely in Bible prophecy. No, it's not. Don't get fault for that. We don't know. Other nations are definitely named. But America is not. But we can pray that God would spare us Amen. as a land that we would have. And that's what I'm seeing. These little mercy drops. This James Woods. It's a little something John Voigt said. Then there's others coming to the Lord. Or at least speaking the Bible in a better way than many preachers. 
And it seems to me mercy drops are falling, and this is my take on that. Just like the first great awakening here in the 18th century in America, second great awakening in the 19th century, following the first great awakening where the churches started to fill up again and people were coming to Christ through the preaching of Wesley, both John and Charles and Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Right behind that was the American Revolution. Finney came along and others as well during the 19th century, early or middle portion of the 1800s. And as soon as the revival was starting to take its effect and churches once again were filling up and there was mass prayer meetings and all that, we had an American Civil War. And I believe that there's disasters coming and God is now saying, come on in, come on in. Forget about what people think. Forget about what they're going to say. Should have forgot about it a long time ago anyway, but forget about what they're going to say. I'm not concerned that somebody watches and say, well, that's like nutty preacher. Or friends of mine that I've known for 50 years say, look what became of him. He's more a nut now than he was back then. Think what you want. I don't care because I have known whom I've believed in. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Christ has given me peace. He's given me power. He's given me confidence. He has not given me an easy life. But that don't matter. Because what Nietzsche, in this respect, was right, the philosopher. Whatever doesn't kill you just makes you stronger. Live in Goshen, where God protects his own and knows how to sever. To sever means to be distinct, marked out, separated, distinguished. And the word division means actually redemption. I redeemed my people, not redeemed these people. It's interesting. Well, it's not interesting. It's very upsetting to read of Christian ministries that are anything but what we read in our Bible. I came across this statement made by a woman. I tried to find it and I couldn't find it and I bumped into something else which made the matter worse because now I'm saying, wow, there's more than one. She was talking about a Christian camp. You know, it's summertime. You're not going to send them to camp. You're going to send them to a Christian camp. But red flags were going up in her head as the camp was instructing parents that once you drop them off, you can't come back. Which, you know, depending on which kid you're talking about dropping off might not be a bad idea. But ordinarily, that's a red flag. Can't come back till we're done. I mean, and then there were other red flags as well. And then it got down to this inclusivity thing, inclusive and all that. I was looking for that and I found another one. It's called The Naming Project. And this is directly from their website. The Naming Project is a Christian ministry, so far so good, serving youth of all sexual and gender identities. We provide a safe place for youth who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, this is from their website, or allied to learn, grow, and share their experiences. Now, you remember when you were 13, 14, sharing your experiences? Just think it through. In this way, the Naming Project is a space in which youth can comfortably discuss faith and who they understand themselves to be. I understand myself to be a man. That's my understanding. If you think otherwise, tell me how. You know I'm not a man. But that's what the doctor said and told my mother. She told everybody. <laughs> Comfortably discuss faith and who they understand themselves to be and how they relate to God and the rest of the world. The Naming Project is a Christian ministry that walks with youth wherever they are on their own faith journey. Youth from around the country attend our summer camp and we communicate with youth, parents, pastors, youth workers, and others who care for LGBTQ youth, Christian. 
Under the mission and goal statement, the mission of the naming project is to create places of safety for youth of all sexual orientations and gender identities where faith is shared and healthy life-giving community is modeled. The goal of the naming project is to provide a safe, sacred place where youth of all sexual orientations and gender identities are named and claimed by a loving God. Basically what that means is that you decide that you're going to call yourself a girl. And God says, that's how you understand? Then you're a girl. It's just that simple. That they can be named and claimed by a loving God that can explore and share faith. And listen, this is very important. Experience healthy and life-giving community. Reach out to others. And here's the thing. If you don't read it carefully, this is the point. And advocate. All of this here. And advocate for systemic change in church. That's called grooming. That's called propaganda. Look at this book is an anvil and it's worn out many hammers. And you know from being in my ministry, most of you have been here a long time. This anvil has worn out many hammers. This is what the book says. I didn't write it. That's what the book says. Systemic change. If you have systemic, God forbid you have systemic lupus, that's not a good diagnosis. That means your whole system is infected. Metastatic disease of cancer is not a good diagnosis. That means the cancer is spread through the system. It's systemic. Me being a white man, I'm naturally prejudiced just simply because I'm white. That's systemic racism, which we have being taught in our schools. That's apparently what white folks got to contend with. I was born that way. I want to let you know this, although I've said it over the years. I've never been prejudiced. To me, if you're a jerk and you happen to be white or black, you're just a jerk. It has nothing to do with the color of your skin. I've met a lot of jerks, all kinds of colors and ethnicities, and on and on. But see, this whole satanic, demonic coming up through this Marxist, communist infiltration, which, by the way, that's been in our country since before I was born, but that's a different subject of how tracing it back into the 40s here in America, of trying to convince people that if you're born white, you're just automatically prejudiced. They can't help it. It's systemic. And when you talk about systemic change in the church, you're talking about infiltrating the church so that the tables are turned. But if we dwell in Jesus Christ, there's no change. God says, I don't change. We're not going to change God. And I thank God for that. God will always be the same now, today, yesterday, forever. He's always the same. And his word is always the same. It doesn't change. What it says, it says. And you want to be found dwelling in Christ, not duped into the word Christian. Then, see, when I talk to people, if I don't know them, I say, well, what do you mean by Christian? And then they explain themselves. They say, well, that's not what Jesus taught. Or I would say, well, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus taught. That's why I'm done with all the labels. I'm done with all these groups. Because there's only one church, one spirit, one baptism, one Lord, one Christ. And the head of the church is Jesus. Amen. Now, when we talk about separation, we're on the subject of sanctification. Remember that when we talk about, well, the Bible talks about being saved, it also at the same time means you're set apart. People are going to notice. You can't skulk around. I mean, it's hard to hide a Bible. You can't really go around hiding your Bible. What's that you're reading? Nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> when I worked uh, in the secular world, there was the Bible. Put it in my locker. I told you last week. The guy says, you read that? I said, why do you think I brought it? It's not decoration. It's there with my lunch. And on lunch, I'm going to read it. I went through that with you last week. 
He makes objections to the Bible. My question was, did you read it? Well, uh, did you read it? Uh, what, did you read it? And if you haven't read it, don't, don't tell me what you think about it, because you haven't even read it. So that's that. Some of you may remember the bishop, Fulton Sheen, Catholic bishop, and he was on television for many years. He was a theologian. And I certainly don't subscribe to some of his beliefs, that's for sure. But he had something to say about the doctrine of sanctification that I thought was good, and I want to give it to you. When you're saved, you are set apart, where God's going to protect you, going to protect us, going to provide for us. But this is what Fulton Sheen had to say about the process of sanctification being set apart, severed, divided, redeemed. He said this in his book, Peace of Soul. He said, curiously enough, it is a fear of how grace will change and improve people that keeps many souls away from God. They want God to take them as they are and let them stay that way. That's what I just read to you. And there's a thousand other examples of things that are the same thing. God takes me the way I am. Yeah, but he doesn't keep you that way. We have here men who've served in the military, but I'll pick out specifically the Marine Corps. And you step off that bus onto those yellow feet and you tell your drill instructor, here I am, but I'm not going to change. Okay. You signed up to be changed in the military. But what you need to know is that when you signed up to be saved, you also at the same time signed up to be changed. So Sheen says this, they want God to take them as they are and let them stay that way. They want him to take away their love of riches, but not their riches. To purge them of their disgust of sin, but not the pleasure of sin. Some of them equate goodness with indifference to evil and think that God is good if he's broad-minded or tolerant about evil. This is a Catholic bishop. Like the onlookers at the cross, they want God on their terms, not his. And they shout, come down and we will believe. But the things they ask are the marks of a false religion. It promises salvation without a cross, abandonment without sacrifice, Christ without his nails. God, he says, is a consuming fire. Our desire for God must include a willingness to have the chaff burn from our intellect and the weeds of our sinful will purged. The very fear souls have of surrendering themselves to the Lord with a cross is an evidence of their instinctive belief in his holiness. Because God is fire, we cannot escape him. Whether we draw near for conversion or flee from aversion, in either case, he affects us. If we accept his love, its fires will illumine and warm us. If we reject him, they will still burn on in us in frustration and remorse. Our God is a consuming fire. In 1980 or 81, it was somewhere in the early 80s, while sleeping, I had a dream. I don't usually talk much about dreams and visions, but I dream every night since I was born. Every night. I don't always know what the dreams mean, but every once in a while, there's one that just I can't let go of it. I can't forget it, even 40-something years later. Our bedroom back then in Yonkers had three windows that overlooked the city of Yonkers. And in my dream, I saw the city just devastated, like it had just been burned almost to the ground. It's a dream. And then I heard a voice speak, and it said this, I have shaken the heavens, and I have shaken the earth also, and I will do it again. Yeah. Now, I'm a new convert. I mean, I'm young in the Lord. I had no clue what this means. Didn't have the knowledge of the Bible that I have now. But if you'd like to read this with me, I'm in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 25. It says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. 
For if they escaped not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Obviously, he's talking about Jesus. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. That's an important verse. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Presumably, the author of Hebrews is the Apostle Paul, writing to Christians who are about to defect from the faith. And he said, you better not. And he writes this on more than one occasion, by the way. Better not, because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It cannot be moved. It cannot be removed. The church will be built by Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens, which has happened in the history past as well, it will not be moved by flesh by blood, by spirits, by man, it will not be moved. It's being built even as I'm speaking to you now. It's being built. And you are the church. God is building you. He's building me. I will say this again. I don't really always like his methods. Let me say it this way when I talk to God. I, say, I don't agree with you. And so I want to negotiate with God. And God says, not happening. I don't negotiate. And you know why? Because I'm God. And you're a little microscopic, I'm not even microscopic, I'm smaller than that. But he loved me enough to save me, so I'm, I'm happy. God doesn't negotiate. God will not be moved. He's God. And you want to be found living in Goshen, not pretending to live in Goshen. As you know, I came from Yonkers, but I didn't just come from Yonkers. I came from South Yonkers. You want to know what it's like? Take a drive through. Come back and tell me what you see. So when I heard about people who come from Scarsdale or... Uh, it's not Chappaqua, by the way. It's Chappaqua. When I delivered mail from Mount Kisco, we had one block that was technically in Chappaqua. Was the lady let me know, that has a Mount Kisco address. So I know, but it's got your house on it. This is Chappaqua. Okay. That's their mentality. They don't want a Mount Kisco address from those vulgar people in Mount Kisco. This is Chappaqua. You know who lives in Chappaqua, right? Yeah, okay. You know, some famous people that live in Chappaqua. Well, I lived in South Yonkers. Where it was like, yo. Well, it wasn't so much yo back then, but it's like, Jewy? No, Jew? <laughs> or stuff like, uh, whose jacket is that coat over there? <laughs> I lived in South Yonkers. I grew up in South Yonkers. I didn't live in Chappaqua. But now I'm living in Christ. And that's the place to be. Amen. In Christ, the rich, the poor, they all meet together. Not just the wealthy and the Chappaquas and the other people that disdain. I once told a woman from whatever, she was from Scarsdale or someplace. I said, you know, I've never read a newspaper. She said, that's vulgar. I said, maybe vulgar, but I don't want to read it. That's vulgar. Okay. But I'm an old dummy. And I know the Lord. You see, in Christ, the rich, the poor, the weak, the strong, they all meet together. And we're all protected by the Lord. Huh. You say, well, that's kind of hard to do. You know, we got to do something. I'm not advocating that we don't do anything. I'm advocating that we do things. He says, occupy till I come. Be found at your post when I come. Be found at your post when I come. That's doing your duty. So we're not sitting around doing nothing. On the other hand, we're not forcing the issue to run outside of Christ to accomplish things. We're letting God accomplish his purpose in the earth through us. 
Let me go back to this sharing the Lord with people. Jeremiah was told, don't you be afraid of the face of man. I told you the story, I think, of a friend of mine that gave him a gospel track. I said, hey, Lou, read this. He threw it back at me. He says, you read it. So I already read it. Thought maybe you'd like to read it. And he was a nice guy. That's just a nice guy. One person told me, after I had talked to him a few times about Jesus, don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. I said, okay, I won't. But you can't stop me from praying. And I will be praying. Today, him, his wife, his three children, all Christians, serving in youth ministry, all that. All right, and I never talked to him about Jesus again. I just prayed a lot. Amen. Still pray because I know him pretty well. Yeah, live in Jesus, live in Christ. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. I was thinking of the verse earlier this morning, I don't know why. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I have a picture of Jack LaLanne. For those of you who remember Jack LaLanne, there he was, you know, with his muscles and all that stuff. And I always admired him for his physical fitness stuff. I still do. But at 96, he didn't look quite the way he did at 25. Because that's the nature of the flesh. No matter what you do to it, it just deteriorates. And so you put your faith in Christ. And in the book, it is written. That's our expression. It is written. Many times during the week when I'm talking to people and they bring up the events of the day, everything that you already know about, my retort is I tell them we are fulfilling Bible prophecy at an amazing rate. It's accelerating. But what, listen, what was destruction for Egypt was deliverance for Israel. Now, we're not going to feel good about what's going on. Don't get me wrong. But these are the signs that the book talks about, that Jesus, the apostles, the Old Testament talks about these things. They're all there. And what is going to be destruction for the world system is going to be deliverance for you. It's in the book. I quoted it twice already. Here's the third time. Do not fear what they fear. Now, if you're a criminal, then fear the law. I mean, the law, man. Because the book says that he doesn't carry the sword, or in this case, a nine millimeter Glock, in vain. And so we have the boundaries. We know where we're supposed to be. And we want to live in Goshen. Because these plagues never touched Goshen. And when we get to the Passover, God instructs Moses about where to put the blood. Slaughter of the lamb. The blood put on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses in Goshen. And when the angel of death passed through, and he certainly did. And as we read in the book of Exodus, chapters 11 and chapter 12, and we see the angel of death touching every firstborn from Pharaoh on out to cattle and everything. Not one was touched in Goshen. Now, I don't doubt that you believe God can do this. The question is, do you believe he is willing to do it for you? Amen. I told you this story just last week, but it bears repeating. It really does, because I actually believe this. On a plane coming back from South Carolina during that huge hurricane we had up here a few years back. And the plane is bouncing, just bouncing. Boof. This woman sitting next to me was, oh, Dios mío. Oh, Dios mío. Which I interpreted as, oh, my God. Was that, am I right? Yeah, it was Italian. She had to be Italian or Latin. And I felt sorry for her. Well, I felt sorry for all of us on the plane. But I felt sorry for her, and I leaned over to her, and I whispered to her, and I said, listen, ma'am, I'm a preacher. And God's not finished with my ministry. So as long as I'm on this plane, this plane is safe. You're okay. Oh, deal me. Oh, wait till I tell my mother, she said. I can't wait to tell my mother. Now, what if I was lying? I wasn't. I mean, I actually believe that. The plane can't go down because I just reasoned that it can't go down because I'm on the plane and God's not finished with my ministry. That's proof because I'm still here. And this happened 10 years ago or more. 
And I really believe that. The day that God has appointed for me to die, whenever that is, is appointed on his calendar. As long as I live in Christ, it's not going to happen one second earlier. Not one second earlier than God has ordained for me to go. And when I go, what a day that will be. Now you're saying hallelujah. You're saying that you want me to die? Is that what you're saying? Oh, you were thinking about yourself. All right. I'm not saying I'm going to die and you're all clapping. Yeah. Cares old past, home at last, ever to rejoice. There's no tax man in heaven. There's no jails. There's no disease, no hospitals. No sin. No corrupt politicians. Vote for me and I'll set you free. All done with that. Because there's one that sits on the throne where the 24 elders bow and they throw down their crowns and they give glory to him that sits on the throne. And I believe that we will be there as well. Uh, who's got a better answer for America's troubles or the world's troubles today than this book? There is none. There is none. And if you will walk with the Lord, you will see it in your experience. You will see it come to pass. I was talking with someone just yesterday about a bad situation and just went through some testimonies. Let me just go through this with you quickly. To remind you that it had been with us here at Time for Truth from the beginning. When I opened this work here, stayed in the city that God called me to, Amsterdam, we left with nothing. It was an exodus. I left my denomination, as you know, under great protest of what they were doing, and I think they're still doing it. I'm not going to be part of it. Period. Don't matter what the cost is. I left behind... Well, I surrendered everything, health insurance, um, salary, and whatever else I had. Came to a drippy building, 53 years old, whatever I was, 51 years old. Sat in my office, and I could hear these words, what a loser you are. All my other friends are being promoted to bishop, presbyter, got big crowds. I got a drippy, rainy, broken down building. But that day when I left on principle, when I quit, I never quit a job in my life, ever, ever on the spot. I said, I'm done. I'm done with this. Here comes a man as a guest in his service that same Sunday. He hears me resigning from the pulpit. Even though I preached a good message, I think, on love, but I did talk about I'm not coming back. But I'm not leaving Amsterdam. Did I know all the available buildings and all the people that were going to give them to me for free? I didn't know nothing except that God has said that he will always provide. Amen. A man comes in the service. First time he was there, I don't think he's ever been back again. Here's that I'm resigning, gives a note to one of the leaders, says, give this to Pastor Ray. He says, call this number. I called this number, a guy that owned this building. There's a church in here that's resigning their position because the church wasn't making it. Within 24 hours, I'm in contract with them, rent to buy, and then the rest. Mm -hmm. Then after I got that victory, then the devil came and says, yeah, but you're still a loser. Look at you. All your other friends, they got this, they got that, and look at you, sitting in a drippy building. And I thought to myself, well, I may be sitting in a dripping building, but I'm no coward. I don't go around saying, I'm with you, but I can't get involved because I got a family. I had a family, and I got a church. I had a church. But sometimes you got to be tested right to the max. Because God is just sitting there, and that's what he did with Israel, by the way. He said, I humbled you with manna to see whether you would walk in my law. And he just says, let's see what Barnett's going to do. We come up to the mortgage, as you know. Well, some of you know. I forget how many thousands of dollars short we were on the offering five years into the work. So we're making rent payments with option to buy. Well, the day that the note was due was Monday, whatever that date was. And I'm here on Sunday at this pulpit here saying, okay, we've got to pay the piper tomorrow. 
And I didn't have confidence that if I didn't come up with the full amount that we'd still be in this building. Just telling you the truth. It's the time for truth. So we take up the offering. And my memory tells me we're like $6,000 short. So now I've got less than 24 hours to find that money. What do I do? Sell holy handkerchiefs? <laughs> this is the one I used in the service. <laughs> I said, God, it's your kingdom, it's your church. Knock comes on the door. A woman who was in the service, she had been with us for just for a couple of years, not with us anymore. She said, you know, during the service, the Lord told me that whatever the difference was that you needed, I was to make it up. I said, it's like $6,000. Not a problem. She writes out a check, she hands it to me. I said, thanks. Now the building is paid for in five years. Even the landlord who once owned this building said, I really didn't think you guys could pull it off. We can. God will. A half an hour later, I get another knock on the door, and uh, some close friends of mine here in this church come and say, no, we're almost all the way home, and God spoke to us that we should make up the difference in the offering. And I said, well, it's already been done. Check was already made out. That's right. God is good. Now I had surplus. We've gone through dips where we didn't have enough money for this or for that, and through prayer and faith in God, and I'm trying to tell you that you have to experience it for yourself. It's good to read it. You have to read it first. To live in Goshen, God supplies for his own. He makes you wait. He makes you a little bit nervous, a little bit nervous, but then he comes in. We paid the mortgage off. I've paid off one, two, three Four buildings in my ministry and never had a solicitor go on the radio and say, I'm selling these holy handkerchiefs or this was the jacket I wore when I was filled with the anointing and I've cut it up and selling it to you. These are con artists. They're manipulating people. Go to God. Ask God. Say, God, I need you to show up. And if your faith is intact and Jesus will say to you, according to your faith, be it done unto you. You don't have to have somebody throwing their jacket and going, fire. Fire. God will send this fire. Send a fire to my house. Another story. I had to put that out by myself with wet blankets. But that's for another day. Where do you live? I live up in the street. I'm not talking about that. Where do you live? You want to live in Goshen. Walk the line. Is it easy? No. But then Jesus told us from the beginning that it would not be easy. Did you forget? It's not going to be easy. However, on that narrow path that he talked about, the rewards are so great. To watch God in the little increments give us an indication of what's yet to come in eternity so that we have hope. It's worth it. Live in Goshen, my friends, because this is not going to get better out here. Every week I say that to you, something else happens during the week that makes it a bit worse. We are rejecting, well, I said we, Americans and people are rejecting the truth. And if you don't want the truth, you're going to have to be fooled and tricked with a lie. But we have the truth. Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Live in Goshen. That's where the deliverance actually is. And I'll just sign off with this one story. It's a true story. A TV reporter was doing some investigation on the Apollo moon landings and found out that 85% of the time with all of these rockets that went up there were off course, off course. And what had to happen with all of the missions, they had to make little corrections on the computer and they land safely. What I'm saying here is that because we're saved doesn't mean that we live sinlessly and don't have to make course corrections. 
What I'm asking you today is how many of you here know you've got to make a course correction in your life. Because if you don't, you're going to miss the moon. Or in this case, you're going to miss Goshen. Or what I'm saying is you're going to miss Jesus. The religious Jesus, he'll be around until Jesus comes back and distinguishes between the two. But you want to live in Jesus. You know today in your heart of hearts, you've got to make some course corrections. Whatever you heard in the service, or sometimes you're sitting there and the preacher says one thing and then something else comes to your head, to your heart. What is it that you've got to change to stay on course with the Lord? This is what I say to myself. If I'm tempted to be discouraged, which I am, or dismayed, which I am, or other things, I say this to myself. Well, you know what? I started out with Jesus. I think I'll end with Jesus. So I say to myself, let's go before the Lord today. And I want us just to take a minute to look at ourselves and say, okay, I got to make some course corrections. If you are a biological male, act like a man. And don't whine about the course corrections. This is hard. Ladies, I give you some credit. You know, women are allowed certain, you know, emotionalisms and stuff like that. But in my training experience, and I don't mean Bible, I mean physical stuff, weight training, boxing. I always found the women did better than the men. So you got grit. And men, we got the grace of God. Ladies, you got the grace of God. What course corrections do you have to make? And today we go before the Lord and just going to say, okay, I got There's some things I got to change. They may be very minor, but it doesn't take much to get off course. Stick with the book. Read it. Pray. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of brothers and sisters in Christ, even so. I know some people act a little goofy, a little wacky, a little weird. But it's still better to be associated with the people of God, as Moses was, than to be associated with these elite Shepherdqua people, or wherever else they think that they're so high and mighty. Father, I don't know in the hearts of your people who are here, who are watching by the live stream or listening on the radio, what kind of course corrections they need to make. Only they would know that. I know what ones I've had to make, and I'm going to make them with your grace. Pour out the grace and the strength that we need to make course corrections so that we can know we are in Goshen. As the angel of death comes through the land, you said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass by you. You're faithful, God. You've always been faithful, and you always will be faithful. Help your people to make the course corrections they need to make. And once again, only they know what course corrections they need to make. And help them to have the courage and the fortitude to make those corrections. Pour out your spirit, God, because it's easy to fall into the temptation of discouragement when we see all that's going on. Some of it right within our own families. But nevertheless, we're called to stand for Christ, in Christ, in order to obtain that blessing and the strength and confidence that we need in this age. Help us, God, to be courageous because you don't need courage if you're not afraid. You need courage when you are afraid. In any case, God, just help us. Pour out your spirit and help us, God, to live in Goshen and stay there until you call us home. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. Father, we thank you once again that we could have joy in the midst of this miserable world. Help us, God, to lead others to find Christ. Help us to be the agency that you use to lead people to the body of Christ, that they may also have this hope. This is the day that you have made. We will rejoice, and we will be glad in it. Remind us this week to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength, and like those 100 pianos, 
to always be in tune with each other, to pray and to love. In these things, we give you all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen this morning? Amen.